Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. Also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. We are on episode number 358. Today's topic is Hate, Inc. Inc. means incorporated, so it's Hate, Inc. or Hate, Incorporated, which is a book written by Matt Taibbi. If you want to look up Matt Taibbi, it's T-A-I-B-B-I. Matt is one of my favorite journalists. I have a list at the end that I'll share with you of my top seven favorite journalists, and he is definitely in that group. Matt was a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine for 15 years, covering, among other things, presidential campaigns. So he's been in the thick of mainstream media. He sees how it works. Matt grew up in a household of journalists. His father was a TV reporter who was a talking head, but he also took seriously his job as a news gatherer and cultivating relationships with his sources. And Hate Inc. or Hate Incorporated is about how does the media really work? And when you ask and answer the question, how does the media really work, you're going to get a different opinion from what you get from the media's own kind of self-image. How do they see themselves and how do they want you to see them? What is the reality of how they work and what is the reality of who they are and how they function in society? Let's look at a couple of statements by other authors or writers. But first, what does media analysis have to do with climate change? Well, the purpose of the climate report is to solve climate change. If there's going to be a solution to climate change, it's going to be a collective effort. It's going to be an effort that involves politics, with politics being defined broadly as the exercise of political power. And if politics is going to be at all democratic, then it needs to be informed by a functioning media. I will argue that we do not have a functioning media in that the media does not function in the favor of the people. The media only functions in favor of the powerful interests that own the media and sponsor the media and also the powerful interests that are the sources for media stories. So speaking of how power influences media coverage, let's look at a quote by Henry Adams, who was the great-grandson of the second president, John Adams. He was the grandson of another president, John Quincy Adams. He was the son of a man who was the ambassador to the the United Kingdom in the Lincoln administration. Henry Francis Adams was also a historian who wrote a nine-volume history of the Jefferson and Madison administrations. So that's two two two-term presidents. Two times four times two is 16. 
and Henry Francis Adams' nine-volume series on Presidents Jefferson and Madison was acclaimed for its literary style and its uh, capable marshalling of documentary evidence, according to Wikipedia. And Henry Francis Adams had the following to say. He said, the press is the hired agent of a moneyed system and set up for no other purpose than to tell lies where their interests are involved. So according to Henry Francis Adams, if we buy his opinion at all, wherever their interests are involved, that the purpose of the media is to tell lies where the interests of, you know, the wealthy are involved. And that is the sole purpose. So you can disagree with that if you want, but I happen to agree with it, and Henry Francis Adams was no slouch. Now, listen to what George Carlin has to say. Now, some people might say, George Carlin, what kind of source is that? I'm not saying you have to believe him, but George Carlin was a perceptive social critic. And if you ask me, Carlin and his type are more likely to tell you the truth and tell you how things really work than the self-appointed experts who are, let's face it, owned by the moneyed class. George Carlin said, keep in mind the news media are not independent. They are a sort of bulletin board and public relations firm for the ruling class, the people who run things. Those who decide what news you will will or will not hear are paid by and tolerated purely at the whim of those who hold economic power. So in the United States, we say money is power. And then that's kind of glib and you go on about your day. Yeah, money is power. But then we don't stop to think about what are the implications of this thing that sounded reasonable enough when we said it, but we forget what it really means. Carlin goes on to say, if the parent corporation doesn't want you to know something, it won't be in on the news, period. Or at the very least, it will be slanted to suit them and then rarely followed up. So that's a quote from George Carlin, comedian and social critic. So right here where Carlin says, If it gets in the news to begin with, it will be slanted to suit the moneyed class and then rarely followed up. When he talks about rarely followed up, it reminds me of what Gore Vidal said. It says, welcome to the United States of amnesia. Amnesia is a disease of forgetting. Amnesia is a disease where you lose your memory. And we lose our collective memory when we're not reminded of important issues often enough. I like saying, welcome to the United States of amnesia, where we don't remember that we've been lied into the last three wars. We've been lied into the last three wars, and the three before that, and the three before that, and the three before that, and so on, ad infinitum. Even World War II, the good war, was You know, there were important lies that surrounded World War II as far as getting into it. What are the occasion? What was the occasion for getting into it? What was the story that we were told as far as getting into it? And then what have we been told since then about 
what the war was about and how it went. For example, and Peter Kuznick, the co-author with Oliver Stone of the Untold History of the United States, Peter Kuznick argues persuasively that it wasn't the U.S. or the Allies that won the war in Europe. It was the Soviet Union that won the war in Europe by any measure, including the number of people they lost in terms of the number of German casualties they inflicted, the amount of territory that they regained, and the number of German divisions and armies that they defeated. But that's not the story that comes down to us, is it? But I digress. We're going to get to Matt Taibbi in just a minute, but let's talk about what Michael Parenti has to say about how the media works. He says, For many people, an issue does not exist until it appears in the news media. How we view issues, indeed what we even define as an issue or event, what we see and hear and what we do not see and hear, are greatly determined by those who control the communications world. The media exert a subtle, persistent influence in defining the scope of respectable political discourse, channeling public attention and directions that are essentially supportive of the existing political economic system. As opposed to what? As opposed to the idea that, well, they're imperfect, but they're basically conveying us accurate news and information. And this is especially true if it's our favorite news outlet, if it's the news outlet that supports our viewpoints, if it's the news outlet that that's speaks sympathetically of our political party and vilifies the other political party. Such people are not propagandists. They're telling us the news and they're telling it like it is. Well, that's exactly what George Carlin is saying is not true. And that's exactly what Michael Parenti is saying is not true. And that's exactly what Henry Francis Adams told us is not true. They're not just conveying the news. They are supporting the moneyed class. They're supporting the ruling elites. And any viewpoint to the contrary is naive at best. This is the Climate Report on Forward Radio, and we're talking about Hate Incorporated by Matt Taibbi. Matt grew up in a family of journalists, and so and he was born in 1970, so he saw how news worked when he was growing up in the 70s and 80s. He saw his, how his parents did the news, how his parents reported the news. And Matt used to say, or his, Matt's father, who was a reporter, used to say, the story is the boss. If the Democrats were at fault, that's where you take the story. If the Republicans are at fault, that's where you take the story. If both were at fault, then you go there. But now it's very different. You're selling narrative. You're selling spin. If, and this is me talking, not so much Matt, but if 87 to 94 percent of your audience is Democrat, you have to be conscious of that or else you're going to lose readership and therefore lose ad revenue. Because ad revenue is a function of how big your audience is and how, af you know, how affluent your audience is. 
So you're going to your advertisers and saying, look at the readership that we have. Look at how many people we have, and here are their demographics. Here is how much money they have. Here, here, here is what they tend to buy. And so the 87 to 94% figure is like NPR, the New York Times, and, and MSNBC are all Democrat outlets, and they fall within that percentage. They're, they are 87 to 94 percent people who vote Democrat. Conversely, if you look at the Wall Street Journal, if you look at the New York Post, if you look at Fox News, you're going to find overwhelmingly uh, at least Republican audiences or people who vote Republican. And you know, if you want to stay in business, you know not to bite the hand that feeds you. And people want to consume news that, that is consistent with how they think and how they feel. People want to consume news, and I do this, No, everybody's like this. People consume news that is consistent with how you feel, how you think. We consume news in order to feel validated. With, And if you want to consume news that is from a perspective other than how you already feel, you can do that, but it's hard work. And that's not what people typically do in the course of their busy day. Matt likens the cell phone to a cigarette. It's like when you take a break, you're not going outside to smoke a cigarette necessarily, but you're taking out the phone, you're going to social media, you're going through your feed, and you're getting a dopamine hit or an adrenaline rush that tends to validate your place in the world. And part of that is the feelings of contempt and vitriol that you feel toward the people who you think are part of the problem or a big part of the problem. So in developing his understanding of the news media as described, as set forth in Hate, Inc. by Matt Taibbi, he compares it with the news media like he grew up with, like I grew up with, like anybody who remembers the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s. Before cable news came along, you remember three broadcast news stations, maybe four. You've got CBS, ABC, NBC, and PBS. So you've got four networks, and they're all trying to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. So you're, you're, you're going to hit it down the middle. You're going to have a uh, news reportage and a commentary and interpretation that doesn't lean too far to the left, too far to the right. It's right down the middle. And it's the, the you, you create this perception, right or wrong, but it's, you, you want to create a perception of being objective and balanced and in the middle. Then comes cable news and Fox News comes along and they decide that they're going to target a neglected market of conservatives. And then, and so they did that successfully right from the beginning. And then MSNBC are kind of trying to feel their way. First they were going for the middle, and then they said, you know, what Fox News 
is doing makes sense, so we're going to go for liberals. And pretty soon you have conservatives hating on liberals and liberals hating on conservatives, and it's a hate fest. And that's what Matt Taibbi calls Hate Incorporated. It's a business model. You're selling a consumer product. News is a consumer product, and you know who your target audience is. You know who your audience is. You want to keep that audience. You want to grow that audience. And it's no longer hitting it down the middle. You're no longer targeting moderates. You're targeting either the so-called left or the so-called right. And that's how the media works today as a business. It applies to cable news. It applies to the newspapers. You've got Wall Street Journal and the New York Post leaning right. You've got uh, the, the Washington Post and the New York Times leaning left, although none of them are left, if you ask me, because they're all pro-war. So they disagree on important issues, just enough to keep people stoked up and keep people divided and keep people hating on the people that are supposedly in the other corner. But then when it comes to war, when it comes to banking, when it comes to, you know, ignoring the environment and ignoring any real climate change solutions, then they're perfectly united. So as part of this um, reportage, as part of this model or scheme that Matt Taibbi has, um, ha has developed, his model for how the news media really works, he developed what's called the 10 Rules of Hate. And I'll get to that in just a minute, but Matt Taibbi has developed this book as an updated version of Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman. So Chomsky and Herman developed, uh, or wrote Manufacturing Consent in the late 1980s, to say, here's how the news media really works, because they, uh, you know, things aren't always as they appear. Uh, the news media has this narrative that says we are the, we are challenging power. We are the fearless challengers of power, when really they're in the bed, in bed with powerful institutions. They want you to think that they're watchdogs, but really they're lapdogs to power. And here are the five filters that Herman and Chomsky developed in their book, Manufacturing Consent. So here are the filters that determine what news does and does not reach us and how the events of the day are interpreted. Those filters are number one, ownership. Who owns the news? What do they want What's their agenda? What are they wanting to get out of their news reporting? Well, for one thing, they have a business to run. They have to be profitable, so they have to appeal to their sponsors. You know not to bite the hand that feeds you. So that is filter number two in Manufacturing Consent by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky. Filter number two is sponsorship. Who sponsors the news? If you're getting lots and lots of ad revenue from a corporation, then you know not to do any serious investigative reporting that's going to, to offend that corporation. If it's a defense contractor, you know not to investigate 
uh, that defense contractor, whether it's, you know, Boeing or General Electric, you're just not going to do any, not very much, hard-hitting, serious reporting with respect to any corporation that provides you major revenue. This is true of pharmaceutical companies. This is true of agribusiness corporations. The media is constantly pulling punches on behalf of their sponsors. In fact, they pull more punches than they deliver. You're listening to The Climate Report on 106.5 FM, Louisville. Filter number three that determines what news does and does not reach us is flack. Flack is blowback. Flack is, wow, you said this or that thing about a certain politician. You said this or that thing on a particular issue. The people who feel differently are going to give you flack. This is where this is about hit pieces. You know, hit pieces are like propaganda pieces that are going to attack somebody, so as to diminish their credibility. You know, flack is when you get a ton of blowback on for talking about a particular issue, and you learn not to talk about too much about issues that are going to create a lot of flack. Filter number three in Herman and Chomsky's manufacturing consent is sources. You know, you need you have to be kind to your sources. You have to be nice to your sources. Currently, a good example of this is Ryan Grimm, who's a reporter for the Washington Bureau of the Intercept. And Ryan Grimm has decided to always be nice to the squad. You're always going to be nice to AOC. You're always going to be nice to Pramila Jayapal. And because Ryan Grimm is always nice to them, then they're always willing to talk to to him. If he were to push back at all, then he wouldn't have that access to them as sources. And it's the same with the Pentagon. If you want the Pentagon to give you lots of good inside information about the current war, then you're going to be nice to the Pentagon when it comes to reporting it. Filter number five of the five filters according to the analysis found in Manufacturing Consent by uh, Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman, filter number five is the uh, the religion of anti-communism. Now, this goes back a few years because communism wasn't such a big thing after the early 90s. The Soviet Union supposedly fell. But during the 40 or 45 years of the Cold War, Anti-communism is a religion which is expected of all writers and it's expected of all citizens and it's expected of all politicians. And according to Herman and Chomsky, you had to adhere to the religion of anti-communism. Notice, notice, if you will, just as a side note, notice how Russia is not communist anymore, but they're still our enemy. They were, you know, not our enemies for about 15 years while our man Yeltsin was in there, and then uh, George W. Bush liked Putin for a while. But uh, you've got all of this anti-Russian sentiment built up. You don't want that to go to waste. So even though the Russians are no longer communist, they're still the enemy. So what up? What up with that? What up with the idea that for 
50 or 50 years or more, the Russians were our enemy because they're communists. And now they're not communist anymore, but they're still our enemy. You might question whether communism was the issue or whether the, the, um, you know, the military-industrial complex thrives on having enemies. But I digress. So if we were going to adapt Herman and Chomsky's model for the present day, would it be the religion of anti-communism? Well, the religion of anti-communism or opposition to socialism is still there. But I'm going to take a little liberty with this model, and I'm going to add a couple other things uh, to it. The religion of American exceptionalism. All writers, all readers, all politicians are expected to adhere to the religion of American exceptionalism. And there's, there's the religion of defense. The Department of Defense used to be called the Department of War in more honest days. Then it was changed to the Department of Defense, and it has not been used for defense since it was been called the Department of Defense. But still, all writers and readers and politicians are expected to adhere to this religion of defense, which is usually aggression but it's called defense. There's also the religion of the free market, which goes hand in hand with the religion of what makes our system so special? What makes America great? And what makes America great is not only the free market, which doesn't exist, but that's a, another conversation. Not only the free market, but also its first cousin, meritocracy. It's this idea that people get what they deserve and if you're rich, it's because you deserve that. And if, you're to, if it's poor, it's because you deserve that. But these are deeply embedded assumptions in our culture and therefore in the news media. So I would say that the religion of the free market and meritocracy is deeply embedded in our news coverage. And therefore constitutes a filter according to the model of Herman and Chomsky. We're going to have to save it for next time to get more into Matt Taibbi's book, Hate Incorporated, not least of all, The Ten Rules of Hate. But let me give you a sample of the ten rules of hate. Number one, there are only two sides. You're either a Democrat or a Republican. You're either for Trump or you're against Trump. There's no third way. You're supposed to feel superior to the other side. You're supposed to root for your team and hate the other team because it's a team sport. You're supposed to think that everything is the fault, everything bad that happens is the fault of the other side. It's, it's not permitted to think that anything is everyone's fault and it's not permitted to think that anything is the fault of your side. When was the last time you saw anything on CNN or MSNBC, uh, any serious critique of the party they represent. When was the last time you saw in Fox News any serious critique of the party that they represent? You're either with us or against us. You're either on one side or the other. And when you're consuming news media throughout your day, you're supposed to feel superior to the other side. You're supposed to feel angry at the other side. And there are only two sides. You are either with us or against us. Oh, look at the time. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Bye-bye.